places. It's where you've got to grip your teeth. It's where you've got to dig in. And it's where, because we're already the Christians, we use words like perseverance. <laughs> I bless you. It's these like perseverance. Yeah. We get a Bible verse from James. It's a bit pure joy when you suffer trials of many kinds. Yay! No one has that verse. Cross stitch in my pillow. Through at the tenth plague, is what happens is the judgment of plague, 
And each of those planes is actually an act of spiritual warfare because what God is doing through each of those planes is actually uh, overthrowing publicly one of the Egyptian gods. So there's a whole concept of spiritual warfare underneath here of God saying, I'm supreme, I'm going to take that one from us. Okay, here's another one. Here's another one. Pharaoh doesn't get it until the last plague, which is the death of the first one, and then he gets it. And then it's get out. Leave. And so the people leave. The Egyptians are like, please go and take all of our gold, all that money, all that cash. Don't come back. Off you go. Take our stuff. And these people are liberated. And they leave Egypt. They've got a promise to go to the promised land. But there's a wilderness in between. And that's the story. And Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are kind of recalled. That's why we can't be stopped to finish. So, four things about the wilderness that I think we've talked about last night. Tracking with me? Fantastic. Okay. Firstly, wilderness, the wilderness leaders allow God to direct us. The Israelites come to the Red Sea because Pharaoh said, again, he's changed his mind. And he sent his entire army after the people to basically get them back. And they're kind of walking forward, they come to the Red Sea, great big body of water. Oh, can't walk through this because we don't have our kayaks with us, just like our own yachts and things like that. Behind them, the Egyptian army aren't going to hunt them down. It's death for everybody there. Death by drowning or death by sharp pointing metaphor. Which one? Which one do you want? God, part of the Red Sea, which shows that he's with them. And we go, wow, it's amazing. If God parted the cloud and walked through it, it would be polluted dirty bits. It'd be horrible. But think about this. If you were standing in front of the body wall and it parts and you've got clones of water on either side, that is terrible. Because then you're like, if I cross that line in midway, it's like changes. The wind goes on the way, boom. Awkward. So it still takes time to have to actually cross the Pine River. You've got your family with you, you've got children with you, you've got possessions with you. And also, right behind you are angry, homicidal Egyptians. What would you do? If you stay, you die. If you go forward, you might die. Sometimes in life, you can feel like we're hanging in. We can feel like there's no way to go, there's no choice, there's no option, what do we do? And sometimes we can blame the devil, but sometimes I don't think it is the devil, I think it's God. I think God hangs us in sometimes. Psalm 139 5 says, You hang me in, you block me, you contain me, you restrict me, you limit me. You hang me in, behind and before, and you lay your hands upon me. Sometimes in the wilderness, God limits our options so that we can only go one way. But that way is a painful choice, a painful decision. But what it actually does is give God an opportunity to show us who he is and what we can do. Psalm 23, we love this psalm. This is the one that gets crossed on pillows all over the world. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of death and the valley of the shadow of death are two different things. Because the psalm says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It might feel like it's death, it might seem like it's death. 
It might be oppressive like shadows, but actually a shadow has no power. Any power a shadow has is because power perceives a shadow. But the promise is not that you walk through the valley of death, it's the promise is you walk through the valley of a shadow. Because you are with me, you've got this stuff right now. Parting the city is not a conventional way of indicating what way you should go. I don't know about you, I'm glad it, but it does worry a little bit now here. If when I walked out of my house, all the puddles just parted. <laughs> it would be amazing. How dare you have an umbrella? Put that away, your lack of faith disturbs me. You glide through and draw a plane. I wish, I wish. The way that God provided was not without risk. It seems to be this, do nothing and perish, or embrace discomfort and walk forward. If that's the choice you're facing at the moment, I want to propose that God's coming in you because he wants to show you some things about himself that you wouldn't learn if that was the situation you were Because we all need to choose comfort, don't we? No one chooses this unless they're a bit crazy. You choose discomfort because you are thinking about the comfort that the other side of this comfort. At least that's why I tell people we do marathons. <laughs> I want to propose that God does this to us because it's actually his kindness to stop us from turning the other backwards. I can't go back to my old way of living, my own way of thinking, my own way of doing, because it's the equivalent of Egyptian on the right behind me. If I do, ow, okay, I've got to push forward. I've got to go into the and I've got to trust God. In my own, um, I, 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 I've had loads of people see this because it's normal, it's part of it. I remember one in 2007, and I, I'd been working at the full time ministry, and, and I'd resigned, it was the right time to move on. And I'd end up going to South Africa, and I travelled with Julian Adams to the main for a couple of months, and just saw crazy things. My eyes were open to some things that I knew in theory, but in practice, I'd never experienced or encountered before. Came back to the UK full of like, what do I do? Now what? Now what? Now what? I had no idea. And nothing had been done. There was no opportunity, there was no option, there was no kind of obvious path to me. And God was talking to me about starting a life coaching business. And I was like, really? Are you sure? That means I've done some people's problems. <laughs> and it looked like I'm okay with it. Really, God? And me and God had this dialogue over the Now, you get to that point where you go, 
I now disagree with what I do this because this is so clear. Sometimes that's the situation you get to the process look, how much do you need to bring? So if that's you, that's kind of something we're starting with, what do we do? What do we do with that practically? If you feel heavy giving, maybe God's shepherding you. Maybe the good shepherd is shepherding you. Maybe we're dismissing God's way forward because it's not what we want. Maybe deep down, we know what we need to do, but actually we're fearful to act because it's the Red Sea to us. All these things mean choice, don't they? Do nothing and perish, or embrace the pain and be pulled. The wilderness allows God to direct us in ways that wouldn't make a new receptive. Secondly, the wilderness allows God to shape us. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. Now, Cairo to Jerusalem, the capitals of Egypt to Israel, are 450 miles. Okay? 450 miles. That's the same distance from Broadway to the Channel Islands. That's actually not that long. If you walk that non stop, I say, if you, I don't mean me. If you walk that non-stop, it would take you six days. If you were gracious and let people have like that rest and sleep and food stops, you're looking at maybe 11 or 12 days. It took them 40 years to do the 12-day journey. I mean, none of the guys asked directions, clearly. So what was going on? Why did it take so long? What was that all about? I would propose that God needs to work actually in them within them. He needs to shake their character, he needs to shake their thinking. He needs to get their thinking from being like slaves to being like children, sons, daughters. He had given a promise for a promised land to them. But because of where they were at, if they've entered the promised land with what their thinking was at that point, I believe they'd have squandered it, they'd have spoiled it, they wouldn't have stood it, they wouldn't have known what to do, they wouldn't have embraced the challenges in the right way, the right heart, the right attitude. So God needs to work on refinement. And actually, see, when we read the narrative, when we read the story, it's this. They didn't work with God. They didn't partner with God. They didn't yield or something. They rebelled. They pushed back the argument. They just disobeyed and dismissed it. And I think, actually, God's heart was not, this is supposed to be 40 years. I think God wanted them to be in there a lot sooner. But they didn't let God be God. They didn't let him be Lord. And so actually, this is what God says, you know what? We need a new generation. I'm going to get let this generation pass it from the desert. I'm going to get a new generation. All this new generation will ever remind me is a miracle working words. That's what I'm going to say from yeah. Sometimes we have things in our life that we get our identity from our security from. The Bible calls those idols. When those things are taken away from us, our insecurities will reveal be manifested. Now, insecurities is a lovely, polite way of saying fear. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have fear or insecurities, and anxieties. It's fear. It's fear. And we all have them. We all have them. Because fear and faith are opposites. So that's why throughout the scriptures, God's like, trust me, have faith, trust me, this. Our propensity is towards fear. And Romans 8 actually compares fearful thinking 
with thinking by myself. So the buildings, I think, brings us to things that we hold on to tightly. Which God wants to change and shape our thinking. And that's uncomfortable, and it presents us with a choice. Do we go with what he's doing and embrace the pain of his people? Or do we try and shortcut it? Do we try and accelerate through? Do we try and escape the wilderness? And I think sometimes when we try and get out of the wilderness, it's actually we're trying to get out of something that God wants us in, and we almost are, we risk uh, not giving God the time and space to do what he wants us to do. What are you saying we need to stay in a case of discomfort and not choose comfort? It seems like that, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of that as all of you are, so I can see the faces. <laughs> but that just seems to be how God wants to do stuff for us and in us. He wants to do deep stuff that's genuine and authentic. Think about Joseph, Old Testament Joseph. He's in prison. He's in prison. Baker, Cupbearer, and weird dreams. Weird dreams. I don't know what you're eating, but apparently it's fine to have those kind of dreams. Joseph interprets those dreams. Yeah, yeah, he does all the right things with prophetic words, encouraging, edifying, exhorting. Yeah, you're going to die in three days and the birds will eat your body. He turns two dreams. Those things come through, but a few days later, the cupbearer, who he interprets as if you're going to be restored to your position at the right hand of the Joseph says to him, Remember me. When you get out, remember me. He's in prison for another two years before Pharaoh himself summons him. Because the cupboard's like, Do you know what? Oh, silly me. There's this guy who interpreted this dream. I don't know why he did it earlier. A couple of years ago, Joseph's like, I want to suggest this. I think Joseph was going to leverage that escape out of the wilderness. If Joseph had gone out two years earlier, would he have ended up in front of Pharaoh? I think when God enters the wilderness meeting, he ends it far better than what happens at the end. And I would propose that if the lesson is essentially key to our calling, we actually end up having to go back to square one and go through again. Yeah. And we end up in a cycle. When these guys left Egypt, they were given tons of stuff. They were given all the gold and silver and jewels and rubies and uh, all those kind of things. Go away, take our stuff, don't come back. Later on, we read that Moses goes through a bit of a hike up the mountain, has a chat with God, he's away for quite a while. And the people get impatient. They're like, Moses is probably dead. <laughs> Moses is gone away a long time. What do we do? They take the gold that they've been given by the Egyptians and they make a golden calf and they worship it as an idol, saying, oh, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Interesting. Also, a little bit later on, when Moses has come back with all these instructions from God, they, one of the things they need to do is make the Ark of the Covenant, the golden box, which in effect is a symbol of God's presence with them. Where do they get the gold from? It's the Egyptian gold. So, in the Israelites, I'm thinking, what was considered valuable by them, God actually wanted to repurpose and use differently to how they expected. Yeah. In their own hands, it became a snare 
better, it was dangerous, and it became something that actually got close to all their thinking. They were just for comfort and security. But under God's direction, it actually became something which was marked in his presence and so his blessing with them. So I would propose that in the wilderness, sometimes things that are precious to us or important to us will be changed because it's preparation that was ready for the music that God wanted to lead us into. Now, some of those changes occur painful. What do I mean by that? Well, some examples might be not feeling like you're valued by other people, your gift, your contribution, seniors, recognized by leaders or colleagues or managers or whatever. It might mean that some relationships we have change. Key relationships change. It might mean positions of influence are no longer there. Skills, experience, knowledge, gifts are recognized, not wanted, feel undervalued, even dismissed. Things that became key to who we are actually goes up again. This is not key to who you are, I'm key to who you are. Let's put this aside for a moment. I used to work in corporate banking. Sounds far more grandiose than actually was this. And um, I really, at the time, I just wanted to be in paid ministry. So this is my early 20s. So, kind of, my jobs were like means for men for me to help me do ministry stuff. And um, I ended up getting a promotion, and my new boss was, he was just a man nonsense northern. And he was one of those direct, blunt, racist, rude people that. Someone who might be at 21 really, really, really in my life, but I didn't really recognise that at 21. Why do you care if I'm work on time? Why do you care if I'm actually doing my job? Why don't you want me to talk on the phone for hours or times or phone calls? Why? I'm just too good to go. God's going to be He wouldn't let me take shortcuts. He wouldn't let me close. He wouldn't let me lock in my job. He wanted me to be better. He wanted me to do my job to make his life easier, but he wanted me to be better and to accept it because he saw something in me when he was annoyed with me. And actually, what happened was, my time with him over a few years, I learned things that were so really profound and amazing, and I was so interested in it at 21, 22, like organisational leadership principles. The importance of clarity and vision. Because they're the same thing fundamentally, aren't they? 
great case of wine. So wine is the maturation process, addition process, and time. So if actually if you feel like there's stuff in you that is not recognised or not happening, or I'm not doing what I want to do, I'm not doing what God's spoken to me about, I'm not being, doing what God promised, people, they don't value me. If God is saying let go, let go. Because otherwise we're just showing actually what our identity and security is built upon. Remember that Romans says that the calling gives you God your body. Which means that if God's given us something, he doesn't remove it, but it might be in the background for a season. And if you're in the wilderness, don't pray, get me out of here, God, but pray, God, what do I need to know? So we're moving. Okay. Number three. The wilderness allows God to expand our faith. The people walked through the wilderness, guided by a pillar of cloud in a day and a pillar of fire at night. And when those pillars moved, the people moved. Now, why cloud and why fire? Right? Now, deserts are hot in the day and really cold at night. So I would propose that during the day, the people of cloud give them shelter from the harsh sun. And in the night, the fire would give them light and warmth. Despite that, the people moaned that God had abandoned them. I don't understand that. Like, there's a great big town pillar of fire near your camp that's protecting you from crazy wild animals and tribes and, and it's warm, it's toasty, you know, you don't have to have like 40 layers of cloaks on and you just go in, you're right next to it, God's left us, God's abandoned us, where is God? They were running that God had led them out of the desert just to leave a dog, whilst they're marching on the man that was kind of arriving in the morning for a second. God was manifesting himself to them in unfamiliar, unusual ways. They didn't see his face, but they saw the effects of his hands. Sometimes when we don't see the face, Face in people is when they get presence from. There's no Hebrew word for presence. So when we talk about the presence, we're actually talking about the face of God. Okay? Sometimes we've got to be careful that we don't have a faith which revolves around and face time with God. Hear what I'm saying here? In the sense of, I don't feel something, I don't know something, I've got to bang, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to wake up. We're actually just saying, yes, it's my face, but also my hands go to my face is facing. Sometimes we need to be looking for the hand of God. If you're not seeing the face of God, what's his hands doing? If you're not hearing the voice of God, what's his hands doing? If you're not feeling the breath of God, the spirit of God, what's his hands doing? And Psalm talks about knowing the acts and ways of God. Having a specific Christian is kind of emotional sense or sensation sense is actually superficial and mature. We've got to be what is God doing? And sometimes, yay, the face, yay, the voice, the words, the breath, absolutely. But what's his hands doing? What's his hands doing? It's about recognition. It's about recognition. Because God promised to never leave us or forsake us, but habits with us might look different to what we expect and what we prefer. But God wants us to know holistically, not just minimal aspects. Yes, he wants us to know his love, but he also does want us to know his happiness. His goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his justice. 
Faith, imagine that is the place quite quickly in the Bible, isn't it? Faith actually fundamentally is rooted in how we perceive God. It's rooted in how we see who he is and what he does. Now there's a saying that goes around, and this might really upset some people, but hey, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's Some people have said that faith is spelled our way of time, risk. Others say that it's actually God. Others say that faith is spelled T-R-U-S-T, trust. And sometimes trust involves risk, but actually it's not a component of sexuality of faith. Because faith is fundamentally about trusting God for who he is, his word is true, and for what he says he do, he will do. That's the nature of faith. That's why it's throughout the scripture that God says, trust me, trust me, trust me. It's on the back of obedience, trust. And to that point, it's about the risk. But it's not about the risk, it's about the trust. Because risk is about the outcome of this. Risk is, I hope this works out on the Trust is relational risk, it's about the person. It's not about the outcome, it's about the person. It's a higher form of intimacy, isn't it? Otherwise, we become successful in and we measure our Christianity results, what works, what doesn't work. And when it doesn't work out, we think, ah, oh, God, you've got me, what's happened, I did everything. When trust is about relationship, God, I don't know what's going on, I still believe you're good. It doesn't feel like it, I still believe you're good. In 2013, um, me and Kayla were at the and we finished the first year of the ministry school there, and we knew we had three months before we could do the second year, and we had no money. And the three months between first and second year, God told us not to work, which was awkward for us because we didn't like working. Yes, works and instead, God actually asked us to go and serve and work for the church in Australia for a couple of months. So we were like, maybe God's provision is that, that the church is going to give us all the cash we need for second year, flights to California, tuition fees for both of us, rent, food expenses. Jesus, we're not asking for like, you know, the car, the company car, just normal stuff, you know? We did the two months, we worked, we served in the church, and they blessed us with a gift, which paid for our flights. We're like, yay, Jesus, thank you so much. And I'm sorry, but we did that. Yeah, what do we do now? What do we do? And we had three weeks between finishing Australia and basically needing to be in California to register for the second year. And we just knew how many to get there. So we were like, okay, Jesus, what are you doing? What do we do? Because we feel like it's what we want us to do. Okay. So we made the decision to, in faith, put the flights. So the little money that we had to pay for the flights. One way for the flight to turn, we didn't buy nothing to the flights. We were like, Jesus, we'll get there, we'll get this there. Okay. We were flying out on Wednesday, I really remember it. And it's the weekend before, we basically had a lot of pie going, see you later, to Paris. We didn't tell anyone ourselves in such a situation. We deliberately were like, we don't need to do what we're being. So this is perfect. We went through, and I'm just reading, this is not my normal, okay? This is unusual, which is why God, this is not, if this happens in all the time, it would be amazing, no one would be here. But we had a weekend and literally people threw money at us. It was unbelievable, I promise you. And like, like I said, this was a God thing. We had dinner with some friends, and none of these people are rich, I don't have rich men. I just don't. I just, I don't, I just I don't know why. Maybe there's lots of reasons why I don't have rich friends. But people were basically just like saying to us, I don't know why, but we told them, just give me 
easy money for what they're doing. So they were some people who were like, here's five hundred pounds. We're like, oh, thank you so much. That's not this is getting out of money. The next day we had a breakfast with someone like, I've got a bonus at work, I've just got such a good cheer, here's five hundred quid. Then they began email, and I promise you, it was like this. Ask my wife, she doesn't want. I don't know, but ask my wife, I'm not sure. We got an email, it's not one of the places where we will be giving a thousand dollars towards your tradition. I don't know We went to lunch the next day, and I remember what was going on. And after all this like, luxury, some people that have been here for years, they're like, we want to give you some money, not sure about it, it's not much, but we want to give you some money. Gave some money, like, thank you so much. Drive the car. I got home from the bank, I can't remember who was driving, I was driving. I was driving, I kept this counting, and I just thought they were close to me. And the counting was taking a long time. The doctors, you know, you can't count, you're okay, you know you've got two months, right? Like, two thousand pounds. I'm like, I didn't crash, I'm here, but there was no disorder. We got to the point where we had 90% of what we needed, 100%. So we're like, okay, you know what? Got the plane, off we go, deadline's approaching, deadline's approaching, deadline's approaching. And then we got this email, a message from someone who basically was like, how much do you need? And we said, what it was, they said, okay. And they gave us two things. Number one, the rest of the tuition for both of us and £6,000 for both of us. They had no idea. They had no idea what they could need. And we were not hoping for that tuition. It was just God's kindness to us. We can say what is happening right now, but we only know if we're not God's. And sometimes when you get to that point, when you get to that situation where God, you have to come through for us to provide, otherwise this is not happening. And God does that to us. Why God is not to give us, it's not like a horrendous spiritual personal trainer, like, I want to make burn. No, it's because he wants us to know him in his fullness, and so what he does is, puts us in situations where we have to draw on him, so that we know him for who he truly is. That is what he does, he expands out. And that can actually rescue, provision, deliverance, love, all sorts of things. All sorts of things. So, maybe that's your situation. God's expanding your faith. There's invitation to kind of engage with God in a new way. Cultivate your faith. Don't quit. Don't withdraw. Don't back off. Don't resign the way that Lift your head and get God's perspective first. Even when situations seem a little bit crazy. You can't see his face or hear his voice or feel his breath. Look at what his hand is doing. Also, complaining can quench faith. Focus on what God is doing and not what God is not doing. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Because Psalms tells us that we enter his gates of thanksgiving and sports with praise. And remind yourself of testimonies of what he's done before for you and picking up. And prophecies of his promise to do. And hold on to them and turn them into prayers. God, you've done this before, do it again. God, you said that you did this, do it again. And if that doesn't look a bit weird to you, read all the Psalms, because there's a ton of them start with, God, this is rubbish, but you're like this. I know you're rubbish because you've done this to my ancestors. And you've done this before in my life. And you said you're going to do this, so I believe you. That's how some of the Psalms are structured. They take people to a place of faith. That's the wilderness is about expanding. Okay, which means it's about how we see the problems. Okay, still with me? Got one more point, and then that and we'll do something probably. The wilderness allows us, allows God to deepen our relationship with Him. It directs us, it prunes and shapes us, 
It's about expanding faith and it deepens our intimacy and relationship with him. In the wilderness, the people had an awareness of God. They knew he was God, didn't they? They knew he was their God. But their level of knowing and understanding was not great. Because the first time God manifests himself and he appeared on the mountain and saw, they are terrified. They are terrified. Because they don't know the primarily of love. They believe it's like all the other gods of the world, which is angry, judgmental, and with a smite crushing estrogen, weird, crazy things to me. And God's like, I don't want you to blatant life that. But I've got to get your attention first so we can engage, so boom, here I am. And you see this kind of interesting process, which I'm a little bit times going to where the people actually still reject God because he wants all of them to know him as priests, all of them to have a relationship with him. You read it in Deuteronomy, you read it in Numbers. But actually, they go, no, 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 Moses, you go, you go, Moses, you go, because you need to be an prophet, priest, king kind of figure. And God's like, okay, I'll set up this compromise, but this is not what I really want. Very good tangent. That's why Ezekiel and Jeremiah starts prophesying about you and better coming where everyone shall know me. I went out my heart's tongue about my half flesh. They'll all know my Lord. They'll all my spirit will be in all of them. They'll all know me. That's always been the heart plan of God. Moses comes down with a covenant, an agreement. This is what it's going to look like for a relationship between me and you. And there's two things that kind of make this covenant in a sense. The first one is the law, the legal stuff. What does it mean to live righteously, right, holy before God? And the other one is the sacrificial system. What does it mean to have worship and intimacy? I would propose that the wilderness, like the people, is a time when God actually calls us to greater holiness and greater intimacy. He redevelops our worship life with Him and He redevelops what our standard living life. The wilderness will be a time of new commitments, new sacrifices, new stands. God changed what they thought of him. He shook who they thought he was so that he could replace it with something better. To replace the vision or the perception that we have, the perception has to be shattered. Because sometimes you can't build things with bad foundations. You've got to rip up the foundations and start again. And sometimes that's what God does for us in the wilderness season. He wants us to reimagine, so we get in an aspect of who we really, really is, and we can enjoy him more. He never contradicts the word, he never contradicts the scriptures or the Bible, but he does contradict how we interpret and understand it sometimes. And we can make a mistake of thinking that we've got infallible theology because the Bible says this, but actually we don't understand it. She's been waiting for said no to And that's what basically was going on with the Pharisees. They knew the Bible. Jesus was saying, yeah, but you don't understand the heart of scriptures in the way. And sometimes God will do that. He will challenge our theology. He will challenge our doctrine. He will challenge what we believe is truth. And that can be really scary if you build something on uh, you know, a foundation acting on But I've been taught this for years. I know this. This is what that preacher on the side. I've read books of and God's saying, okay, God, it actually is a limit in the lid of who I am. In a weird way, it's actually mine. Because you're thinking about that something isn't actually who I really am. I had a wilderness in 2006, which on the back of a very catechistic relational breakdown, 
If you struggle that in my form, there's all sorts of consequences, all sorts of messes in the whole world of time. And I literally was like spending a lot of time in the group saying, God, what is going on? And I, all I could do was read Psalms. Well, I, I didn't know I should be doing the prayers. Things were a mess. And I was walking through, I would read a psalm a day, and sometimes I wanted to get into something. Sometimes one word, one word would make sense, and something like, I might as well be reading this in Throughout that time process, two things about God's nature just kept standing out and coming to me again and again and again. And it's his patterns of singing songs. Firstly, God is the steadfast one who never lets go. Like a barnacle, it's impossible for him to let go of us. Even when we let go of him, he never lets go of us when he's the steadfast one. The other one is he's the most high. He's not just like he's the most high. Everything and everyone is under his direction. Circumstances, finance, history, past, present, future, relationship stuff, whatever is going on, he is the most high over yeah. And he did something in me in that process where those two things are just better than me in the way that we And I'm not saying I don't sometimes doubt God being there and still with me, or I don't doubt God that you can do this, but it's different to what it was before that time. Yeah. The point is this, and I'm coming into the text. In the wilderness, God will shift and redefine aspects of your relationship with Him because He wants us to know Him with who He truly is. And He has no problem dismantling things that are wrong because He wants us to be in the right revelation. So, what does that mean? It means you might have time, I don't know what I believe. Or I'm reading this or hearing this because I don't know if I believe it, I'm not sure, I don't know. Please don't ask me what I believe because I don't quite know what to say. That is utterly okay. That is utterly, utterly okay. God is never offended by questions. Jesus is never upset with questions. Jesus is disappointed with faithlessness. And there's a question which is asked from a lack of faith and a question which is asked from a place of course, can we get this? There's differences there. And if that's you where you're at, that's totally okay. What can you do? Keep close to God. Keep close to the God that you know even if you don't know anything about him. If you feel the parameters of your relationship with him shift, lean into it. Especially if you feel like this aspect of everything captures devotional life with him, or your kind of holy living before him. God is the one who initiates this kind of thing. Have faith that he will lead you, he will guide you. Because remember, the Holy Spirit, John Gospel tells us, is the Spirit that leads us into all truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not about leading us to understand the Bible more. It's a byproduct. It's about leading us to know the person. And I love the Bible because I use it in reading. But we're not meant to have a Bible on a platform like an idol. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And the Bible helps us understand him. Be okay if you feel some theological things are shaking, or some convictions are shaking, or some understandings are shaking. Keep your heart soft to God. Talk to smart people so you know, you're not going to go crazy and mental because sometimes we get a bit like, oh yeah, but I don't believe this is wrong. Have faith, trust that God can keep you away from error and in truth. Because what he starts about, he brings back to completion. And be okay with uncertainty. Talk to people who are smart and I'm not sure that it's what you think. Yeah? Don't be surprised if devotional times in the week you see the big flats. 
Please hit the please hit the please talk to people if you're in the room this evening because we can't do it all. So bless you. 